Hi everyone, my name is Cheryl Cohen and I am with Arthritis Consumer Experts and we are hosting Arthritis at Home. And it's really my pleasure uh, to be here again with Dr. Jackie Whitaker. She's been on the program before, uh, in fact, on an episode that aired April Fool's Day. So today we're gonna be really serious uh, and talk about uh, grants and, uh, and, and infrastructure and all manner of cool things. But first, let me tell you a little bit about Dr. Whitaker. She uh, was uh, or is an assistant professor um, in the Department of Physical Therapy at the University of British Columbia. Uh, she did a lot of her training, uh, though, at the University of Alberta, as well as the University of Southampton, uh, going from your Bachelor's of, of Science in Physical Therapy to your Master's to your PhD, uh, and then we stole you uh, to British Columbia, where you now um, live and work, uh, and you're also a research scientist at Arthritis Research Canada. I'm really excited um, to be here today with you to talk to you about uh, something I think that you probably worked quite long and hard at, and uh, that was the preparation and the successful award of um, a Canadian foundation or Canada Foundation for Innovations, this is a long-worded title, John Arnold's Leaders Fund for your project on musculoskeletal health. So that's longhand for arthritis health or bones and joints health yep. uh, and mobility laboratory infrastructure. So first of all, tell us about the project and congratulations to start off for the award. Sure. Well, first of all, I just want to say thanks for having me again. I think the, the last time I was on, it was literally as the pandemic was starting. And I mean, that seems literally like five lifetimes ago. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just insane what's happened in the last year. But um, yeah, I was really lucky. Um, first time I applied for this award, I did not get it, um, but persisted and, and took on some of the feedback that the reviewers had provided and was successful the second time we went in for this. So a CFI, we, we shortened the Canadian Foundation for Innovation to CFI, and we shortened the John R. Evans Leaders Fund to a JELF. So the <laughs> CFI JELF Award, um, you know, it's interesting. If you think about it, it takes a lot of things to be successful at doing research that impacts the lives of people that are either living with arthritis or at increased risk for arthritis. And, you know, so you need the people right? People that have the knowledge. So whether that be people that can conduct the research, so the researchers, the research coordinators, um, you know, our knowledge brokers, students, you need people with important questions. So those are the patients, their stake, their, 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 their caregivers, clinicians. Um, and then obviously you need money to do the research. So pay for those people, pay for the cost of tests, for using equipment, for using facilities, but you actually also need the equipment and the facilities and to measure those things that you want to be able to measure in your research. And, and people might be a little surprised to know that we actually don't have a lot of opportunities as researchers to get money for renovations to spaces or to get money to buy those instruments or those devices that we're going to use to measure things. And that's the really cool thing about the CFIs and about the gel funds is that it's money to basically do some renovations in my lab so that I can do the research I want better and actually to buy some equipment that allows us to 
start exploring and answering questions that we want to answer. And um, if you don't have that equipment, it's really, really, really hard to justify other organizations to give you money to do research because if you don't have the infrastructure to do it, obviously, you know, it's unlikely you're going to be successful. Absolutely. Right? And I know enough about the grant reviewing process that reviewers are, they look at that capability. They say, well, this person wants to research into X, but they actually don't have the physical infrastructure in order to answer that question. So that's really what, in a nutshell, uh, this is about your grant is going to allow you to tool up your lab you to do the kinds of very advanced research uh, that is needed um, in this really complex area uh, called musculoskeletal health. Yeah, when uh, you think about this project and you think about other institutions, so not just your own, but other institutions, um, how can they create a, a better infrastructure um, to, to prevent and help those living with arthritis? I don't know if that question, does that question yeah, make no. sense? Yeah, absolutely. So I want to say two things. So number one, when we talk musculoskeletal health, because I know that's like a mouthful. Yeah. I mean, really we're talking bones, joints, muscles, ligaments, um, you know, the stuff that holds us together and the reality of it. And again, I don't know if a lot of people realize this painful musculoskeletal conditions and for sure talk to our back pain and arthritis. They are the single largest cause of physical disability in the world, period. So wow. they're massive and, and they're even more massive. Although we, you know, we often think, oh, well, we don't die of our back pain or our arthritis, but the reality of it is those conditions dictate so much of our ability to be able to move, to be functional, to be, you know, to be, to, to just interact with the world and be ourselves and, and be our own identities. And so they have huge implications and they are actually associated with an increased risk of other comorbidities that can lead to, you know, the big thing, which is passing away, but they're, they're massive. And so this, this term musculoskeletal health is sort of bleh, doesn't mean a lot to people, but I think if you think about your knee or your hip or your back or your neck or whatever, it's really about conditions that affect those things. You, as you know, I live with rheumatoid arthritis and have been doing so for quite a long time now, over three decades. And I try to explain to people, you know, cancer, heart attack, those kinds of words, when someone says it, people get a gut reaction to it. They, oh, that's bad. And I try to explain to them, well, actually waking up every day with an, an insidious chronic or autoimmune disease, it's like death by a thousand cuts. It's every second of every minute of every day that slowly erodes your quality of life over time, unless you can find appropriate treatments, both non-medication and medication, the right environment, the right support system. So it's, as you say, so complex, yet relatively few people, even those in high places in healthcare systems, truly understand what happens to people um, living with a musculoskeletal uh, complaint. I did not know that low back pain and arthritis together dominate the scale. Dominate, massive. Yeah. So it, it, it's great. I mean, if you think about it, it's fundamental to everything you do. What do you do? The first thing you wake up in the morning, you move. What you, like, I mean, we move all day long. I mean, movement is movement of our, 
our joints moving with our muscles of our bones yeah. and our joints is what we do. It's what we're made to do as humans. And when that is painful or we can't do it to the degree that we want to, it has a massive impact. And you're right. It may not seem like it's one big impact, but all those little impacts pulled up together are huge. And yeah. as I said, the number one reason people miss work, the number one reason that people have a chronic condition in this world is related to a musculoskeletal condition. Yeah. The reason also it's important, Cheryl, I think is that we actually don't get funding for musculoskeletal health that often. It's hard to fight against MS and stroke and cardiovascular disease and say, hey, the musculoskeletal system is just as important, if not yeah. more important, because the movement is the movement is the basis of everything. Yeah. And so to get a CFI or to get a CHR grant or to get grants that fund something that's in the musculoskeletal realm, we get pretty excited about it. Oh, because, no, it's, you know, it's amazing. It's, it's a big if, deal. I, if I could play a marching band behind me, I would have. But such is my excitement over you being awarded this very important grant the last time we had the big marching band come down the street is when the Center for Hip Health got its big award, yeah. right? So, and that was what, close to 20 years ago. Um, so- And it's, it's been interesting a because one of, one of the pieces of equipment that they actually got in that CFI, this instrumented treadmill, which is just a fancy treadmill that allows us to, to measure loading when people are walking and running, it actually got moved over into my lab at UBC, which is awesome. And then we, with the CFI now, are able to buy things that we can kind of use with that tool to, again, sort of add new life to it. Yeah. Some of it is just recognizing that, you know, it takes, it takes a community, but it also takes tools. And if you don't have the tools, you aren't going to get the funding to answer those important questions. Yeah, absolutely. In terms of the project and, and the renovations that you speak about, so what are some of the first things you're going to do? Can, can you share that with us? Is that too granular? Or? No, okay. that's fair. I mean, so I, I, number one, we've got some funding to do some renovations, yeah. um, but we've also funding to buy things. And particularly, we're going to buy equipment that helps us to measure movement, okay. to measure physical activity, to measure muscle responses to loading, to measure body composition. So how much fat, how much muscle does somebody have? And then also the response of various tissues to loading. So we're getting this really cool research ultrasound machine that's going to allow us to look at cartilage and how it responds to being loaded. So we're, we're really keen about that. And to kind of maximize that, we need to do some renovations. And my lab, so I'm affiliated with Arthritis Research Canada, which is where I am right now in yeah. our new offices. And, um, but my lab is actually at UBC in the UBC hospital. And so we're able to do some renovations to kind of set up the room. So it's going to be easier to, to use the tools. Um, and also we're getting a couple very big screens. One of some of the work and, and, and some of the people that are listening may know this. One of my big research focuses is delivering a accessible, um, feasible, intervention to help people manage their knee health after they've had a knee injury so they're less likely to go on to develop osteoarthritis and we call this program the SOAR program s-o-a-r as in stop osteoarthritis and the, the really cool thing about SOAR is that it's delivered entirely virtually and so by having these big video 
cameras and these big screens, not only are we going to be able to do our weekly follow-ups with the people in the program, but we're going to be able to run some pretty cool exercise classes virtually um, in a really in a space that's going to be decked out for that. So we're excited to get it done, but I, now all of a sudden I've gone from being a researcher to a project manager and I've got to figure out where in our schedule of research do we shut the lab down and do the renovations knowing yeah. that, you know, although they'll tell us it'll take four weeks, it's going to take four months and just sort of figuring out how to do that piece. And it's, it's a little stressful, I will say, but a super excited to have the ability to make those decisions. When people who are patients come through your research program, they're also benefiting from that. It's all, it's like treatment. I mean, you're, you're Absolutely. being, you're learning about the types of research you're doing and why they're take they're learning new uh, mechanisms to cope with pain at a particular point in their day. Uh, they're learning uh, ways to to alleviate that pain that are safe for them and might have some long lasting effects. Um, so there's actually that treatment aspect of research that I think most people don't really realize is there until you become part of research. Then you never want to not be in part of research. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think a couple, I think a couple things on that. Number one, I always, you know, it's really interesting. You bring in people to the lab um, and, you know, maybe we'll test them on some things. Then they'll go through a program of an intervention, a treatment, and then we'll test them again to see if things have changed. And they absolutely love finding out all these things about themselves that they didn't know that they normally wouldn't get tested if they were seeing a physician or a physiotherapist just typically. Um, so they get to find out some really cool things about their muscles and their body composition and how they move. And then you're right, as they go through the program, I mean, a lot of our work is just really focused on you know, helping people manage their risk. And yeah, yeah exactly. What do I do when it's a little more sore today? Do I stop all together or is it important to keep moving and how do I make those decisions and what things are important to consider and um, I think you're right after you've engaged in that you just kind of you feel like you've stepped your care up like so much more that you just want to stay involved and know what's going on because Absolutely. I think you, you feel like you're actually empowered more and can do more right you actually maybe you have more power and maybe that's a better way to put it yeah, I think that's bang on. And, you know, I get, I think patients uh, can speak for many of probably of whom are watching. We get frustrated because we don't get offered those real important kernels of information, Jackie, that can put us on a path uh, and, and have and be self-motivated. Tell our audience, uh, Jackie, one more time, we can never say this enough, why it's so important to our bodies to stay active especially if you have arthritis. Yeah, I mean, it, it's sort of like asking or, or stating, you know, why is it important to put water on a forest fire when you want the forest fire to go out? I mean, it's, it's kind of a duh. Like the, the thing is, our joints, the reason my arm bends here is because it needs to bend here. And there's a joint here because I need to have movement in this limb. Yeah. And and, and and so having a joint there means that it needs to move. It doesn't mean that it needs to stay stationary. If it needed to stay stationary, there'd be no joint there. So, I mean, joints are built for movement. Movement is what keeps joints healthy, what keeps the tissues in the joints healthy. And I know it's tough because I know that sometimes, particularly if you've got arthritis and you move your joint and it hurts, 
there's this contradiction between, okay, so I know movement's important, but I don't like pain. Right. And, and I'm associating this movement with, with pain and therefore movement must be bad. But the thing is, you know, the reality of it is, okay, so I don't know, I have a cold or, or I have pneumonia and, and it hurts to breathe. Do, do I stop breathing because I've, I don't want to feel that discomfort associated with it? And that might be an extreme example, but the yeah. thing is, the movement of the joint isn't necessarily most of the times actually sort of what's driving the pain. It's just, you're feeling the pain with the movement. And the cool thing, generally speaking, is the more you can move in an appropriate way, the pain will decrease. Now I know there's exceptions to that, particularly for people with rheumatoid arthritis that are in the middle of a major flare up. And definitely we have to be a little bit more cautious with some movements, but you know, nine times out of 10, the way to get through joint pain is with thoughtful, regular movement of the joint. And I know it's hard. I know there's this kind of battle between movement and pain, but I think that as you probably have experienced and, and others have, if you can kind of just keep moving, you will start to notice the pain changes. And once you've lived that experience and you understand you actually have some control over the pain by moving, then you get empowered to yeah. just keep that, that strategy up. And it, it can kind of take you through those really tough times when you're exhausted and it hurts and you just question whether you're doing the right thing. But having that lived experience, you're like, yeah, no, I know this is the right thing. And I just got to carry on with it. Yeah, it's known that when you move, you flush things into the joint that, that help the joint. So can you tell our viewers, Jackie, what is that? And, and it is part of this move it or lose it thing, right? Yeah. So, so at the end of our bones, you got two bones to come together in a joint. They're covered by a, a, a tissue called cartilage. And most people think of cartilage, you know, if you tear a chicken joint open, you'll see the shiny white surface and it looks really hard and impermeable, but actually there's all these little microscopic pores or holes, and it's actually quite a a spongy tissue. And so what's really interesting is that the cartilage at the end of the bones doesn't have a blood supply. So normally the way that the tissues in our body get their food and get rid of their waste products is the blood comes in, brings in food, drops it off, picks up the waste products and takes it away. But with cartilage, we don't have blood supply. So the way that we get food and we get rid of the garbage is that when we load our joints, we squish the cartilage and anything that's in the cartilage we don't need gets squished out, garbage disposal. And then when we unload the cartilage, all of the fluid goes back through those little microscopic pores and with it, it brings all the groceries. So it's like you squish, you get rid of the garbage you release you get the groceries and so people people people, that pressure loading unloading is the food for the joint and therefore the movement is so so important now a lot of people i've been there once or twice myself carrying a few extra pounds where does it become problematic when you've got too much force i mean we hear and we counsel a lot of our members, Jackie, to try to regain fitness, uh, to try to alleviate pain, uh, to try to get read, ready for surgery if they have to go in for, let's say, for example, a total knee replacement. It's really important not to have too much load on the joint. 
Well, so the way to think about it is it's sort of like a you. Yeah. So too little is bad and okay. too, too much is bad. is bad. And I would argue the shape of the you depends on how much you've been doing. So okay. if you load your joints regularly, then your kind of too much load is actually really, really high. And rarely are you going to run into it. Okay. Whereas if you don't load your joints very much, and then all of a sudden you decide you're going to go out and walk 10 Ks, well, you're going to get to that place a little bit faster. Okay. But, but I, I think the main message is that too little is just as harmful, if not more harmful than too much. Okay. And it's rare that we do too much. But there's this perception, I think they're in the general public, that if I have arthritis, I shouldn't weight bear, I shouldn't walk, I should never run again, I shouldn't do things where there's kind of this increased loading. And I would argue, well, if that's if you want to starve your cartilage and fill it up with garbage, that's a great strategy. I would also say you can't go from zero to 100. Sure. Right? So you're not going to go from hearing what I just said and go out and start walking, you know, 20, 30 minutes, you've got to build up. Yeah, if that's the you, the joint. if this is the you and this is little activity, you've got to slowly work your down way down here, down to the bottom and maybe even up the other side. Yeah. And, and you've got to build up the muscles and you've got to build up the cartilage to handle this, right? So the cool thing about the human body is the more you expose it to a specific type of load, the better it gets at that load. So if you do weight bearing activities gently and then you build up more and you build up more, you build up the capacity and the muscles and the cartilage to deal with that load. But if you never do weight bearing activities, you won't. Well, but I want to sort of end our conversation with uh, what you see is super exciting hints of advances in, in particularly osteoarthritis research. So many people um, live with a form of osteoarthritis around the world. So where I spend a lot of my time is trying to prevent osteoarthritis. And I do think that we're starting to see some advances there. And for sure, we could talk about the whole, you know, uh, medication injection world. Um, and you summed it up actually really well, which is okay. we're not anywhere right now. But, but what we do know is that we know we've got exercise-based therapies that are starting to look really, really promising. And uh, if I go back to the SOAR program that we're, we're working on, you know, we've just finished a feasibility study where we had 30 people that have, a, a, you know, an experience of either having had a joint injury, which makes them at increased risk of OA, right through to people that have had OA that are living with it go through the program and, and see if we could run the program the way we wanted to, and then give us some feedback. And we've been just going through some of the interviews that we've had with those people. And the really cool thing that we're getting from it is that what they're telling us that's the most value for them is that by sort of having a bit more information, i.e. this is what my cartilage does and why it needs to be weight, you know, weight bearing. And by us sort of working with them weekly for a couple minutes to try to help them figure out how to navigate when they're doing too little, when they're doing too much, and where's that perfect balance, is they've come back and said to us, you know, it's like you've given me permission to be active again. You've given me permission to exercise. I actually feel like I've regained some of my identity of being an active person because I feel like it's okay to do those things. Whereas before everyone was telling me or my beliefs yeah. were that I can't do those activities because I'm going to make my knee worse. Yeah. And so I find that really exciting because I think a big part of what pushed me into doing the research I do is I can't tell you how many people 
when they were given a diagnosis of osteoarthritis, particularly if they'd had a bad knee injury in the past, would say to me, why didn't someone tell me this 20 years ago? Because if I'd known what to do, you know, I might not have done it every day, but I would have done things differently, but I didn't know what to do. Yeah. And um, you know what, Jackie, think about that. Think of the tsunami, uh, uh, a size of people, groups of people who have wanted information and could not get it. It's actually quite so sad. It it's, is. It it's is really, really sad. And, you know, they ask their they ask their family doctor and, you know, taking nothing away from family doctors have got a, a lot on their plate, Absolutely. but you know, they receive like 17 hours in total of musculoskeletal training. They don't know yeah. yet. It's the number one reason someone aged 55, 60 comes into their office is about a joint complaint. So it's we, actually, this is also a change. I agree. The number one reason that we as human beings become inactive as we age is osteoarthritis, period, yeah. nonstop. That's not okay. And so we have to have strategies to help people on a daily basis figure out what they need to do to stay mobile and keep moving. Um, you know, I think the number thing I would say is that if you are having a hard time moving, and I know there's lots of people that are. Yeah. That's, that's your first red flag. Your first red flag isn't the inflammation. It isn't the, the flare-up. The, the first sign of a flare-up is I'm having to decrease my activity or the first red flag that there's something going wrong. Don't wait until it really goes wrong. It's the fact that you actually are becoming less mobile. Yeah. That's when you need to go out and you need to seek help because it all just goes downhill from there, right? And, and I think that's such an important message. So there you go, people. We are wrapping it up in one strong key message. Has your activity level dropped? Has your ability to do things diminished? And if so, it's time to get answers. It's time to start asking questions of your healthcare providers. Uh, Dr. Whitaker is a research scientist at Arthritis Research Canada. You can find out more about her work at arthritisresearch.ca and you just see the little tab called our team and she will be listed there along with some of your projects I think including the SOAR project. You can surely visit uh, jointhealth.org which is Arthritis Consumer Experts website. We have lots of interesting information on all types of arthritis and are constantly adding to those resources or you can uh, email us at feedback at jointhealth.org. So all of that stuff uh, will, come, uh, will come up at the end of this uh, video. And uh, Dr. Whitaker, we cannot thank you enough. You have always a font of knowledge. I feel like you and I can riff for hours, um, <laughs> uh, but I know you've got important work to do. So we thank you very much for your time and we look forward to having you back on Arthritis at Home. Okay, well, thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity. Bye, everyone.